This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm John Champion, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time, over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcast.roddenberry.com for you to choose from science, feminism, even daily news, and all stops in between. Boldly go and find us. When you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcast.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Kia and welcome to episode 75 of the Half Measures Podcast. Paul, you have the power. How are you doing today, mate? I feel, I, I'm always excited, Dan. Kia ora. I feel so excited this week. I feel like nearly everything I've watched, I've really loved. And that's the greatest energy to come in with. And yes, I have the power. I love it. I love it. So yeah, we have watched a, a lot this week. So I think our what have you been watching might might be fairly brief because we've we've just got so much in common this week. It's a good time. So why don't you kick us off, Paul, with what have you been watching? All right then. So I'll jump straight into 1984's The Terminator, the original classic. It's, I feel like it's been quite a while since I watched this one, the original. And so, I w and I want to go on this journey of rewatching them all, you know, like a, a one a week, kind of like I have with like Hunger Games or maybe. But I felt like I wanted to jump straight into Terminator 2, um, as I wasn't sure how much I would enjoy the first one. But I tell you what, with the exception of a couple of issues, which I'll get to, I could not believe just how good this movie is and how much fun of a rewatch it is. Like, there's still some. Just things that just work so well, moments that you jump at, moments that you laugh at, and just classic, classic dialogue, classic scenes. There's so much to enjoy. Obviously, Schwarzenegger is the big, you know, the big star everyone thinks of with this movie, but I really appreciated from this rewatch how naive and, I don't know, happy go lucky and just normal Sarah Connor is in this movie. And, you know, the, the fear and the disbelief of, of this Terminator chasing her. Cause I think I'm so used to her from Terminator two, that vision of her, you know, there's that badass. Sometimes I forget how she started. Um, and she's really good. Linda Hamilton, you know, as, as the waitress and, and the, and the flatmate um, that we see in this movie. So it was a really good rewatch. It is important that you always start with the first movie, mm. much like the the Lord of the Rings. Like you never you never bring together the fellowship and then stop halfway through. You have to see through the delivery of the ring, and I think with uh, the Terminator, you like the whole the, the importance is all because of the the bait and switch with you know when you come into Terminator Two, and I think you're right. Like you you need to see the character development of Linda Hamilton. Because um, her, her role with Sarah Connor is so critical, and I think all most people would know who have never seen this movie is the manic, 
um, the person that people don't believe, Sarah Connor, but mm. you know, she was a she was a normal person. Exactly, and and she, and she just did that so well because Linda Hamilton, who I associate with that badass, she she's really good in in this as well. So she does both, and I think I'd almost forgotten that. But yeah, going back. There was, I think it may even have been, you know, last week's peak performance, J.K. Simmons, and I was talking about the role that he he played where he took over the Lance Henriksen from this movie. That was kind of, you know, watching the the scenes again with with Lance Henriksen and Paul Winfield was just really, really good. Bill Paxton as the as the the punk leader with the nice night for a walk, eh? I mean, I use that that line on so many of my Instagram posts where I'm out for a walk. Cause I just love that line. Um, Michael Bine, who we did um, a peak performance on as well a while ago. And I, I had this as my number one. I think you had it just behind tombstone, but he's so good as Kyle Reese. He's so, he's so human. And so I feel like if they cast someone who couldn't make Reese as believable as Michael Bine, then this, I feel like this whole franchise would have been off to you know, it wouldn't be what it is today. The the negative for me, so, you know, I said there was a couple of things. The special effects, makeup-wise, have really, 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 really dated. Like, we talk about watching The Walking Dead, and we go back to the pilot episode and seeing some of the makeup on those zombies. This is, like, times 100. And I'm, I don't understand, you know, this is Jim Cameron. I don't understand how even back then they thought it looked good enough to have such close-ups why why not have those scenes with Schwarzenegger in the mirror have just have it a little darker or a bit further back I don't know it really it's a bit jolting um but look that aside this is a really great fun rewatch and as soon as you hear that classic Terminator theme this is the best Terminator theme you know from the right from the start that carries on through it's it's brilliant all the guns obviously I have got a question for you then Paul so would you prefer because bearing in mind this movie is almost 40, 40 years old. Goodness me. Would, would you like to see, uh, uh, let's call it a director's cut for lack of a better term, where they go back through and give it the George Lucas treatment and they kind of enhance all the effects, or would you like to see a pure remake of this? I know there's been many Terminator movies, but you've got one of two choices. What way are you going? I'm, I know that this answer will annoy a lot of people, hopefully not too many listeners, I am all about the the George Lucas treatment. I love the remastered Star Wars versions with all of the effects they did on that and how they brought things up to date. The same with the Star Trek, the original series um, effects that they they remastered and redid them all to modernize that. I, I feel like that just adds to the experience and gives the filmmaker the opportunity to show it how they wanted it to be now that they've got the technology to do it. I know a lot of people were very much against that. I have to ask you what your opinion is as well. Yeah, I, I probably should have given you a third option to just leave it leave it as is. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, I, I would probably go with you. I, I feel like, you know, when you remake those movies, it's, it just brings in so many points of failure potentially where it could go so wrong and I think something that makes these movies great is the is the cast and you know changing that there's just so many decisions to be made around do we want actors that kind of look like the original actors are we kind of modernizing it so it's a whole new world and we've kind of got that with the I guess some of the more later Terminator movies so yeah I think you know going back through you know let's chuck I've got no idea how much it costs to do some of these effects. Let's chuck a couple of mil at it and uh, see what see what a refresh might look like. Spoken like a true project manager. Chuck a couple of mil at it. Um, 
plus or minus 50 percent thank you there you go now you're more like it um so yeah so that's the the first thing the, the other thing the second thing other than what we've watched together i have completed my season four rewatch of better call Saul, and i've done that over the last couple of weeks and i've been trying so hard to watch as slowly as i possibly can this fourth season but it's really hard once it's like a if you think about a bag of lollies or sweets your favorite like like once you start it's just so hard it's i'll be brief because i know i talk about this show a lot and i've done the last three season reviews but my goodness dan to put this into context so that the people don't glaze over <laughs> my um re-watching another season no matter what else i've talked about on this podcast this year this is the best tv i've watched this season four of better call Saul. it is absolutely absolutely exceptional it's it's and you know you already know that because you've watched it but i feel like the rewatch in some ways is almost as good as the first time and in some ways is better because i'm appreciating so much it's just like i said it's the best thing i've watched this year um yeah it's good like it's such a great quality show isn't it and you know what i, I know you'll be back to watch it again it's one of those shows you can always have on the go it is. And it, and, it, and it's like you've talked about with The Office. It's a show that I feel like as soon as I finish it, I could easily go back to the start and immediately uh, start watching it again. And with the, for me, with the exception of like Seinfeld, there aren't many TV shows I feel like I could actually do that. But this is this is 100% one of them. I really could. The um, the, the editing is, is I think, where, where it's so good alongside the story writing. There's no filler. Um, there's no... A story, B story, because I'm interested in every single character. So when they when they sort of fade to black and go to another character, I'm not sort of like, oh, I want to stay with Jimmy or I want to stay with Mike. I love all the stories. Um, season four, so we've got the, the Germans drilling under the laundry to get Walter White's um, lab set up. We've got Salamanca now in his wheelchair with his bell. Um, we've got Jimmy selling smartphones on the black market. Uh, there's, I mean, I, f- I feel like... If if you know, you know. Otherwise, this must sound like a really random show for the things I've just listed as being great quality writing. But I now have just season five to go. And season six doesn't come out for, I don't think it's a while, is it? It's next year, I think. Oh, I mean, I'm in trouble. I mean, I've, I've, I said to myself, I pace myself. And here I am. I've left myself with, with one more season to go. And I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to have a long wait you're gonna to have to go straight into another rewatch of Breaking Bad. I, I can't do that. I can't. You can't, and then and then you just repeat the journey, Paul. Just keep keep going and try and sync it up until the season six. We'll see. That's me this week, Dan. What have you been watching, please? All right. So um, I've been watching a couple of things. So I've actually been progressing with my watch of Animal Kingdom. And in a true half meshes fashion, I can't remember how far I was through this when I last talked about it. I think I'd watched season season one and two. Um, and so now I've watched season three and four. So it's been a real interesting journey with this show, uh, Animal Kingdom. So just to remind everyone who hasn't listened to the previous episodes, outrageous by the way if you haven't, <laughs> then it's basically the whole story centers around a, a Southern Californian family who live this excessive lifestyle fueled by their, their criminal activities and they've got this this mother called Smurf is her nickname and she's got um, her boys, what she calls them, which uh, most of them are her children and they, they basically commit a, a series of sort of crimes and well-planned heists 
um, and they they divide the money up in the family. And it's I've been describing this show to people as a a combination of Sons of Anarchy point break type type of vibe where you know that one minute they're they're at the beach surfing or riding their motorbikes over dunes the next minutes they're they're robbing banks with um masks on and it's it's been a show that season one in particular kind of took me a while to get into it like it was a show I I didn't I definitely didn't hate it, but I definitely wasn't hooked in. And I think through season two and three, I got hooked in big time. And we were watching the show every night. And um, now sort of starting into into season four, it's kind of like slowing down a little bit again. But it's a, this is a great show. It's a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's not going to, you know, win win a whole bunch of awards or be your your favorite show of the year. But if you're looking for sort of a, a bit of good quality entertainment, you know, Animal Kingdom's got it all. It's got lots of action. It's got some pretty fun storylines. And it, it's just a, it's a good time. It's a great synopsis. It's rating really highly. And it's got this awesome poster as well. Even, you know how I talk about how posters can draw me in sometimes without even reading a synopsis. Uh, just a dude on a surfboard that's sort of like with a, a wave that's way too big for anyone to surf on. But there's a flame coming through as well. I mean, I don't even know what that means, but it's even that's... Yeah, and like it's even got a, it's, you know, we always talk about shows that have a, a great opening soundtrack. This mm-hmm. show's got one of those as well, where it really, ho- every time you watch an episode, you're kind of singing along with the, um, the theme song. And honestly, the, the, the chaos that these kids get up to, there's lot, well, they're not even kids, they're, you know, they're in their late 20s, early 30s, but there's so much sort of like backstabbing and betrayal and, you know, trying to, get away with the sort of the perfect crime and there's cops involved and there's, you know, people that you think are who smooth sexual kids and they're not. So there's no shortage of drama. That's for sure. It's it's, I added it to my list last time so I can see it's still there. I, uh, every time I hear you talk about it, I get more and more intrigued. The crime element really appeals. So um, I could, I could join you. Well, yeah, no, recommended. And I think season five has just started uh, on Neon and they're, they're dropping it sort of episode by episode. So it's the, the perfect time to catch up. Perfect. The other show that uh, – this is sort of a bit of an, an accidental watch that started for me on the train, Paul. So mm. um, it's, it's a palate cleanser show. And it's a show that I've watched sporadic episodes of over my over my years – of Modern Family, so I'm not sure if you're a, you're a fan of the of Modern Family. Uh, Mr. Phil Dumphy is the, is the is in my in my eyes the the star of the show, and it's so. This you know we talk about palate cleansers all the time. Shows that you can just put on while you're you're eating your dinner, you're on the train, you're you've just finished watching something serious like Mirror of East Town, and you just need something to sort of like wind down, have a bit of a laugh with before you go to sleep. And I, so I thought, you know what, I might just put on some Modern Family and I'm up to, I'm almost at the end of season two and there's like 11 seasons of this show and I've just got it on in the background all the time. I'm having such a great time. The characters are hilarious. Have you, have you watched any Modern Family? No, I haven't. And I've heard so many people recommend it that I keep saying to myself, is this going to be another one of those ones I'm going to watch and say, why did I leave it so long? We are looking for a palate cleanser. We're actually watching a show, which I'm going to hopefully review next week as a palate cleanser. When we finish that, we haven't got anything. So this could be a poignant time to get it 
into the into the playlist. It, it's so perfect. It's got such a, a great cast. It's got Ed O'Neill, mm. uh, who I you know my first exposure to Ed O'Neill was with Married with Children. Um, I remember watching that show when I was quite young, and always my parents been like, "Should you be watching this?" I definitely should be watching it. Um, but there's just all the characters are, are so funny. It's got Julia Bowen, Sophia. Sophia Vergara, um, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Eric Stone Street. Like it's it's on it's it's good, Paul. It's it's kind of like heartwarming. It's funny. It's got real office vibes to me. And I think I think why it really works for me is because it's kind of filmed in that similar office style where it's kind of like semi sort of like documentary-ish where mm. you know they'll often talk to a camera at the end of at, you know at the end of an episode and kind of talk about what's happening much like they would in the office and I think that's why it just vibes for me and I think for a show that came out in you know 2009 it's it's still got quite a bit of like inappropriateness sort of in every single episode and you know I always think to myself could they remake the office today um, because that's pretty controversial. Some of their their humour and jokes in here, and th- this the show is a you know a slightly later than the office version of that. It, it's so inappropriate. I think you'd love it. And where am I watching this one? Uh, you can watch it on Netflix. Okay, we'll give this one some serious consideration because there's 250 episodes there, so that could be a palate cleanser for you know quite a wee while. 250. And- wow. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty good effort, isn't it? So, And that's what's always going to put me off. Like I thought, am I up for 10 or 11 seasons of this show? Like I've kind of watched little bits here and there, but starting it from the beginning was just a – it was just good. It was just easy. It was a, an easy watch. Nice. And should we move on to some of the things that we've been watching together? Should we start with a little bit of Rick and Morty? Indeed. So uh, once again, Rick and Morty are back this time in uh, Rick and Morty's Thanksploitation Spectacular. Rick and Morty give thanks and celebrate uh, Thanksgiving, uh, the birthday of America or whatever the hell it is, as Rick said in the in the episode. Um, this one I really, really enjoyed. I felt like I was laughing a lot more because I think last time I gave the last two episodes a bit of a, a harder time, but I found myself laughing a whole lot more. I always love episodes where they have the president. Um, the Thanksgiving plot was just really, really twisted. Timothy Oliphant came in. He was the you know, the guest voice as, as the Marine that got turned into a turkey and then back again. I mean, even that just sounds ridiculous saying it out loud. But just really funny, really good time. So many great one-liners. I did write a couple of them down. What did you think? Yeah, I thought this was another great Rick and Morty episode. I actually, funny enough, didn't enjoy it as much as the last couple of episodes that I've watched, hmm. but I still had a, a, a great time watching it. I don't know how the how these writers come up with these plot lines for this show. Like, how, like, like you know, <laughs> it's, it's such a crazy concept. Like, you know, the whole episode is basically, as you said, about – Thanksgiving, it's about turning Marines into turkeys. The president gets turned into a turkey, he gets turned back. Like it all kind of makes sense as I'm talking about it, but it's it's a it's such a fun time and it's there's no shortage of laughs to be had. I feel like this season is obsessed with having layer upon layers, like with the the clone episode where we were never sure if it was the real family or not. This time with the president and Rick trying to outthink each other, um each step before the step that the other person would have thought of to keep going back and back. And it goes all the way back to a truck being transported with turkeys. And then the master plan is to infiltrate and become those turkeys. I mean, absolute madness. 
turning a laser on the Statue of Liberty to awaken something inside it. And as Rick said, um, it was a Trojan horse, Morty. Never trust the French. I mean, <laughs> it's it's superb. It's good. It's. I think you're right. Like I think this is a show that I think just goes from strength to strength with each season, and it just it, it gets smarter and more evolved. And because there's been a few times where I've gone to play that play the the new episode, and for some reason my Netflix thinks I want to play season one episode one. Yeah, me too. And and it's like it, even the quality and the the animation is so different from episode one, season one, all the way up to season five. It's a game changer. The the David Blaine box trying to use that um, um, FDR being turned into a spider, uh, and the, my favourite line was the way they described Rick saying, "Oh, he's just some crazy spiky haired Doctor Who in a lab coat." There was just so much greatness in this, so much greatness. Indeed, indeed. I, can I say uh, one last thing then? I just want to quickly say the change in language again was so evident, and I'm curious now because I'm sure one day we will go back and rewatch seasons one to four i wonder what it will be like to actually whether it where where that language is so much tamer whether it will matter or not to the enjoyment overall because now it just feels like it's it's gone up a level and it's not that i'm obsessed with swear words but it's just to go back i wonder what that'll be like because i've never experienced that in a show before where it seems to have changed rating mid series i guess one of the potential I have no idea. I've done no research into this. But I imagine one of the, maybe the reasons for it is when it first came out, it was on Adult Swim, which I presume is some sort of like cable network thing. And whereas um, now that it's, I presume, predominantly on streaming services, like the rules are probably a little bit more lax. Not to mention, like we're Rick and F and Morty, so we do whatever we want. And like it's it's got such, you know, probably such a high view count on whatever platform it's on, they've probably sort of been given the, the keys to the castle. Yeah, no, I imagine so. And I have also done very little research as well, so I, I can't even answer my own question. Shall we move on over to this week's episode of The Bad Batch? Yes, so season one, episode 13, Infested, to save a friend, the Batch, plot a mission to sabotage a gangster's operation. Um... I'll just jump in quickly and say I feel like this is as close to a filler episode as we might ever expect. Uh, I'm also thinking that it's it's kind of making sense to have it around this time because we've only got, what, three episodes left? And so as we're going into the final, you know, I'm kind of hoping we're going to go in on a big bang. I still enjoyed it. It was a good self-contained story. Um, it didn't progress the bigger story arc, but as an episode one in its own right, I thought it was okay, but not overly memorable perhaps, but still, still, still good, still enjoyable within the context of the season. What about you? Yeah, I think I'm in the same camp. Like it was, this was to me a, a classic Clone Wars Rebels episode where we're not going to really progress the story at the moment, but he's kind of a, a little boxed episode that anyone could almost watch this and kind of get a bit of a sense of the show. Um, like it was, it was okay. I'm, I'm still really enjoying Bad Batch overall, so mm. it hasn't sort of dampened my experience at all. Uh, it was interesting to kind of see Sid go on a mission with the Bad Batch, and for some reason, I, I think it's because Sid uses a, a staff or a cane. I think of Sid as a little bit frail, yeah. and but you know, Sid was you know. Um, propelling down a, a a rope to to, to retrieve some goods um she was she was well into the mission 
she's a real good character so well voiced obviously um ray pillman but um the thing the thing i got out of this one the most was actually um the the pikes um mm. uh, and because we haven't seen them since uh, the solo movie and i really what i love about it is i love that um that, that indisputable fear that the the Pike Syndicate bring, even, you know, Dryden Voss from Solo, I remember, always talked about, you know, he doesn't want to start a war off between them and Crimson Dawn. And I love how you can have in this galaxy with with this this tyranny tyranny of the of the Empire and all these bounty hunters and, and low lives, but there are still some things that rise above this and go straight to the top of the do not mess with list. Um and you know these these spice spice syndicates from Kessel, they're just they're like the the real Tony Soprano gangsters of this world. Yeah, that that's a good point. And I think they actually did a really good job of being a, a fearsome group, weren't they? And even when they I forget his name, they they chopped the guy's horn off. Yeah. And it was it was quite brutal, like when you sort of think about it, you know, they these guys arrived, they basically like kind of killed everyone in, in Sid's bar. Um, they're then talking about trading spice, which we all know what that sort of means. And it's, it's again, like sort of quite dark sort of storylines with an undertone of, look, it's a, this is a family-friendly show. We're on Disney. We're, you know, like <laughs> it's, right. it's a little bit colourful. It's Star Wars. We're, you know, we're part of the Disney universe. Um, but there, there's some hardcore stuff happening. There is. And they did ha- they did actually, on that note, try and make it a bit of fun uh, because there was a bit of a feel for me of Indiana Jones um, with the – which are, uh, with the with the like the mine railway thing going down the you know all the railway tracks plus actually that also was a little bit like solo with the with the rail chase I quite enjoyed that whole element but I'll be honest as soon as they went into there and they said no don't make any noise or you will wake the bugs up hundred percent guarantee that they're going to make the noise and wake the bugs up so um it, it was look it is what it is they bring on the next three. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think I would imagine, like, I wouldn't be surprised if we're heading to a sort of three-part finale or even at least a two-part finale. Like, they're probably going to be big episodes. So, you know, it's almost like the the DJ on the dance floor. You, you've got to take us down a bit before you, you lift us back up. Uh, DJ Whiting you know, dropping you, the tunes. He knows what he's doing to get the crowd going. I know what I'm doing. There's no half measures here. Wow. All right. So, yeah. I think, yeah, and you can see this in the ratings, right? Like this episode only got a a 6.6 out of 10 compared to some of the other episodes, which has scored a little bit higher. That's the lowest this season, that one. So, yeah, good point. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully we'll be back in um, full action next week on that one. So, Paul, we've also watched a couple of other TV shows, full seasons at that as well. So we've been watching Clarice, the TV show. But this is a full-time job, Dan, right? This is people don't understand the pressures that we, it's a pressure cooker. We've always talked about it on air, but I, this, and this is where my energy was so excited coming in these shows that we've watched together because the, the two full seasons, Clarice. So from the world of Hannibal, uh, a look at the untold personal story of FBI agent Clarice Starling as she returns to the field about a year after the events of the Silence of the Lambs. So I'll, yeah, I'll hand over to you first this time, Dan. So, I you know we've talked about this show a little bit in in, in the newsroom uh, mm. as we sort of heard various things about it. It's just arrived here in New Zealand. I know it's been out uh, in America since uh, about February, I believe. Oh. And I 
watch is it February? No, am I making that up? You're giving me the face like I'm making it you, up. You could be right. I just had no idea it'd been at that. Oh no, you're right. This says oh no, new series February eleven. Oh right. Okay. Oh okay, okay, okay. Oh you're right. You're right. I'm all over the place. Anyway, so when I came into this show, I made the foolish mistake of looking at the the rating on IMDb. And I kind of came into it with a little, ah, oh, it's the show for me and sort of over the first sort of three or four episodes, I was kind of at a place of, uh, it's it's good, but, you know, uh, I'm sort of struggling with, you know, Rebecca Breed, who plays Clarice Starling, isn't Jodie Foster, and, you know, it's we're not in the 90s anymore, but it's kind of set in the 90s, and is it a little bit forced? And I kind of had these uh, underlying kind of, like, concerns through it, but then something happened, and probably at about, episode four or five, and I completely switched to Complete Convert. I absolutely loved it. Like, there's a few um, quirky things, um, you know, a couple of them that I was, I've sort of talked to you about offline. Mm. For example, the guy that's a sniper, like we got told about 400 times <laughs> that's because he's a sniper. Snipers take it harder than everyone else. That's what she said. You know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's so many um, – there's sort of some some quirky things like that. They were like we know that he's a gunman. We know that he can use a, a sniper rifle, but you know, it was a it was actually a really good watch. And I've had a few people say to me, "Oh, is that show worth watching? The reviews are terrible." And I, you know, like a few other things we've watched, I want people to watch it. I want season two. I, I want more of this universe. I think they've done a really great job at kind of. You know, taking the Silence of the Lambs movie from 1991 and kind of making it their own, and there, there's some incredible performances in there, particularly from people like um, Michael Cudlitz. Yeah, no, look, I there's a few things you said there which I need to respond to. Firstly, the sniper, you're absolutely right. I mean. We don't need to hear the word sniper a thousand times. But also, what is a sniper doing in the command center? Why is he doing things that a sniper doesn't do when that's clearly his specialist skill? But who knows? Maybe he's an FBI agent who just happens to be a good sniper as well. Enough about the sniper. Have I said sniper enough times now? Um, Wait, is he a sniper? Yeah. I'm not sure. Look, I've never heard of Rebecca Breeds before, um, but I have to say I really thought she was a great agent, Sterling. I really thought she had the voice down perfectly and... I also found it really kind of curious, I guess, that she actually reminded me, her likeness reminded me of of Juliana, uh, wasn't it? Julianne Moore, who of mm-hmm. course played Clarice in the sequel. And so, and then I had no idea that she was an Australian. So she's done an even better job with that accent. But um, I think I liked that they went down the path of having uh, a styling that was as close to the original as possible and what i mean by that is if you think about the tv show the uh, hannibal they made no effort to make mads mickelson's um hannibal anything really like uh, anthony hopkins uh lecture beyond the the fact of the character being a cannibal everything else was very much different but i felt that with styling, they had to. She had to be exactly who she was, especially you know, in terms of the voice and uh, and those sorts of things. And that really helped my enjoyment. I really loved it. Michael Cudlitz, as you said, as Paul Krenler, absolutely brilliant, almost unrecognisable to how he looks normally, and especially how I think about how he looks. You know, when we think about him as Abraham in The Walking Dead, I, he he really showed me a different side to him because I've only ever seen him in that and, and Band of Brothers, to be honest. 
Um, I was just looking, and so these episodes did start in on the eleventh of Feb mm, no, in, right. in America, and yeah. then yeah. Um, no, look, I think it's it's really interesting, right? Because I think what they the, the season really heavily focuses on, you know, the aftermath for Clarice and what it's like to be a, a young FBI agent who's solved a uh, a serial murder case and. You know, kind of the, you know, still in the nineties, the you know FBI pretty male dominated um, field. You know, people not too happy with the how she's progressed through the ranks and how much of a sort of a superstar she is. There's the the connection back to to Buffalo Bill was really strong throughout mm-hmm. all these episodes. And at first, I was like, oh, this is kind of is this good? Is this bad? But I I think they they played it really well that, you know, it was sort of a subtle theme throughout a lot of the episodes and that has sort of touched back to it, but they never overdid it and they they gave it enough of its own story to come and become its own its own show. No, you're right. They did they never did overdo it. Um they did sort of keep a a good distance. They they actually very deliberately, I think, stayed away specifically from Hannibal Lecter, like really deliberately to the point that you know, given that, as you said, there was so much focus around Buffalo Bill and the and the daughter, who of course was down in the well with the, with the dog. I mean, even the dog Precious is back, but and of course the common link between Clarice and uh, and Krenler was Hannibal as well. But they didn't speak his name. They didn't say Doctor Letter or Hannibal. They just left it well alone. And so I thought that was quite interesting because I think. There was, you know, are they going to? Is the phone going to ring in the last episode? And is it going to be Hannibal Lecter? You know, what's going to happen? Are they going to stay true to that and allow the sequel to play out? But um, to go back just quickly to Michael Cudlitz's Paul Cranlin again, I have to say I like the direction they went with him as well because in The Silence of the Lambs, he was, you know, he was critical and, and blaming of Sterling. Um, and then in, in the movie Hannibal, where he's played by Ray Liotta, um, you know, he really resents her and he treats her unfairly and he's genuinely not a nice person in that movie. Um, and yet here in Clarice, he's still got that hard-nosed, blunt guy, I'm better than you kind of attitude, but they softened him down. And I really liked that because it meant that we didn't have a resentment type relationship going on for like a dozen, was it 12, 13 episodes. Um, we got a much more rewarding episode. And now when I think of Krendler, I feel like Michael Cudlitz has become the, he's the prime Krendler. He's the, he is the one that I think of when I think of Paul Krendler now over the three actors who've played him in the last 30 odd years. And how good a job did they do on his makeup and overall appearance that, yeah. you know, you really had to check yourself, right? Like, is this Michael Cudlitz? Is this the same Michael Cudlitz that we've seen as Abraham in The Walking Dead with that giant ginger sort of, tea moustache and the, the the fiery red hair like it, he just looks so different yeah talented guy and he um you know we talked about him because he directed an episode or two of world beyond as well and he's um yeah he was really 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 good and uh what was the other thing i was going to talk about um the oh, oh the the just that sort of that tension throughout i thought that the the writing and stories were good and uh, I love the way that they, as you talked about, you know, touching on Buffalo Bill, but they recreated some of the scenes from Silence of the Lambs to use as flashbacks. And so that was how they brought back, you know, Catherine and Precious. Um, 
But I always felt like there was enough in each episode of the main story to progress it, even if they were doing like separate investigations. The and I think the best type of show is where that story act continues all the way through. And um, you know, and I think the obvious thing that maybe we should talk about because I've heard a lot of people sort of comparing it to to Hannibal uh, because of course you know, the, the Hannibal the TV series. Um, and I think Hannibal had a lot more budget in terms of cast, in terms of production and locations. And so it had a few advantages in, in that respect. But I, I found that show was more surreal. And this was a little bit more what you see is what you get and a bit more straight up. And I kind of I kind of like that. Yeah, I think that where it kind of borrows a little bit of the Hannibal vibes for me is with some of the, the filming and some of the angles and some of the way they might sort of focus on a shot and it's quite sort of artistic the way that they do it. But I'm with you. Like Clarice is a, a really easy show to watch. It's easy to understand. And I'll be the first to admit, like, like I love Hannibal, mm. but there is episodes that are way above my simple brain to kind of like understand the sort of the metaphors and the, the deeper meanings that they sometimes tried to portray in that, in that series. Yeah, you're right. It sometimes just went, yeah, you know, just a little too surreal or a little too dream state or too artistic y. Um, and, you know, also Hannibal has the advantage of, it has Hannibal and this whole universe, all four of the books and the films are obviously centered around him. And, you know, when he's in a room, there is a tension that is hard to beat because of what he is and what, what he does. Um, plus, you know, yeah, I, I just, I, I feel like this as, as a show for Clarice, I don't know what they could have done to have made it much better for me. Um, and yeah, I really hope we get a, a second season because the ending has been set up for a really interesting start if we do yeah look i was one of those people that was convinced that we were going to get some type of hannibal lecter phone call or reference sort of in the the final episode but i actually think you're right like they were better to actually stay away from it and not kind of leverage off that because it just would create another comparison point yeah but i i'm genuinely quite surprised at how medium to low these reviews are. Yeah. Like we're sitting at a 6.5 out of 10. I would easily put this show as a, an 8 or a 9. He's, oh, definitely an 8. I don't understand why it's that. I, I, I feel like, as I said, there wasn't much filler. Um, I think with the exception maybe of the episode where um, Clarice, they were trying to make out that Clarice's, um, like her silence meant that the character Julia um, had to suffer because of how the the media labelled Buffalo Bill and and the, the 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 transgender elements there, and I felt that they were just trying to, if I'm honest, I felt that they were just trying to shoehorn in a a social message in a really inarticulate way, and I just didn't need it thrust down my throat in that respect. Yeah, look, I actually think, you know, because there's a few sort of social messages, I think, throughout the show. And I think, I actually think they did quite a good job at sort of bringing into light for a show that's set in the 90s. Yes. And I think it's it's always hard, I think, when you go back to the 90s because, you know, you've got these agents running around doing stuff. They've got no cell phones. They've got, you know, they're, they're relying on pages. It, it's such a different world. You know, it wasn't that long ago, but what a different way to operate as a as an agent in the field. I never had a pager back in the 90s and I feel like I would have loved to have had a pager and just the whole way that whole messaging service worked is, seems seems crazy now, but it really wasn't that long ago. Um, my final observation that I wanted to point out and 
I doubt that you or anyone else picked up on this, but I'm a bit obsessive about the movie Hannibal. Um, this is the sequel movie. Um, I noticed that the opening credits music, the which was just a few piano notes, was very, very similar, not to Silence of the Lambs, but to the Hannibal movie uh, soundtrack, which I would say, blockbuster movies aside, is probably my favourite movie theme ever. I really, I really enjoyed that. And just the fact that they drew on that and she looked like Julianne Moore and there was just a few things they didn't touch the Hannibal. I wonder if if they're not just being true to the silence of the lambs, the movie, if they're also being true to Hannibal, the movie. And of course those two are both based on the novels as well, whether that they, they don't want to play in the Hannibal space, because of course, when, when Hannibal and Clarice talk again, some 10 years later in the movie Hannibal, they haven't spoken since Buffalo Bill. And I wonder if they're being true to that. It'd be really interesting to find out if they're going to go in their own direction. This is a real uh, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi situation, isn't it? Who knows, Paul? Who knows? Are they, are they telling us the truth? Correct. Well, I think you'll find it will always be from a certain point of view, Dan. Indeed, indeed. Um, now, look, I think this is a good show. Um, you can watch it here in New Zealand on TVNZ On Demand. I th- My advice to you would be ignore the reviews, give it a go for yourself. It took me a few episodes to kind of really sort of like click with it, but when I did, it was a good watch. Dan, shall we um, change universes and go across to the other first season that we've watched, that of Masters of the Universe Revelation? Oh boy, boy, Paul. Oh boy. So I, growing up, was a big He-Man fan. You, you've heard my story of uh, getting a, a He-Man figure, taking it to school, losing the battle axe, being really upset about it, eventually getting that back. Always loved He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I've had many of the toys. It's been uh, a series which I've has kind of like it, it's always been a, a childhood memory, but I haven't really sort of ever dabbled back in it um, like I have with Transformers or Star Wars or whatever it may be. And in fact, probably about ten years ago, I watched an episode of um, the original uh, Masters of the Universe on YouTube, and it was absolutely terrible and that kind of you know got me into sort of doing a little bit of a sort of light research around it and really you know that's when I sort of found out that this was a toy line they made and they actually made the tv show to help sell the toys and there was a little bit more about that on a a Netflix series called the toys that made us and they kind of talk a little bit about that universe but anyway I, I digress so this is a, a new series on Netflix, just released on the 23rd of July. This is The War for Eternia Begins Again in what may be the final battle between He-Man and Skeletor. And it's a it's a new animated series from writer-director Kevin Smith. I absolutely loved it, Dan. I felt like it ticked so many boxes for me. I really enjoyed it. I loved the look. I love the feel, uh, the, the amazing cast, which we'll, we'll get into, I guess. The music I thought was spot on, how that changed up and down for what it was. I felt it was true to the original look uh, of, of the show, um, in particular the characters, because, you know, putting, I guess, putting He-Man aside, because he was way bigger than perhaps he ever was. So many of the other characters for my money are really close to their original design and i love that man at arms beast man um evil lynn cringer battle cat sorceress uh triclops roboto 
Trapjaw. I mean, they even had Merman, for goodness sake. I uh, I don't think I saw Ram Man. Did I miss him? I don't know. I, I just thought this was great. I, I cannot believe the hate, all the bad reviews, the IMDb rating. What is going on with all the hate? This was great. I think what's interesting about it is this is a show that has actually got really great reviews from critics, but I think fan reviews are nowhere near as positive, which is really unfortunate because, so this is part one, so it's only five episodes, so you can easily kind of watch it in a, on a Saturday morning or over over a weekend. It's, as you said, Paul, fantastic cast, and I think what's really cool about this is they could have really easily gone for just the classic He-Man story, but He-Man you know, is not even really the key, like, he's not even the key person in a lot of these episodes, and I think this is the fresh take on He-Man that's just so cool, and it's such a, a wacky universe where it's it's kind of medieval Dungeons and Dragons, but there's also lots of technology, and there's sorcery, and wizardry, and magic, and it's it's a lot of fun. There's a, there's a Lord of the Rings type vibe that sort of flits around that as well, I think. I think you're absolutely right. I am, um, like, I didn't want it to ruin my memory of what He-Man and the Masters of the Universe w- was to me back in the 80s. Because, you know, as you've mentioned, despite the fond memories that we have um, to revisit, it's basically unwatchable. And, and you know, what I think the old show still looks okay. The, 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 the voices are another thing. And one of the things that makes it unwatchable for me was the old voice of Skeletor. I actually now when you go back and listen to it, it's like, how could I have thought that was good and as a kid? I mean, I question my own childhood decisions, but it's ridiculous. And then with this version, you know, if we get into the cast, let's start off with Skeletor, enter Mark Hamill, take a bow. What a perfect Skeletor voice delivered some absolutely brilliant lines um, and then, I mean, the rest of the cast as well. I mean, we've got so many great Actors, voice actors, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Lena Headey, Liam Cunningham as Man at Arms was genius casting. Kevin Conroy as Merman. There's some really good actors in there. Yeah, um, my favourites probably would have been Lena Headey as Evelyn. I thought Evelyn was such a a great, such a great choice. And so Lena Headey... uh, for those who might think the name's familiar, played Cersei in Game of Thrones and, you know, obviously sort of the, the evil queen uh, in that TV show. And to kind of hear her voice as a character like Evelyn was just so perfect. And I'm with you on Liam, uh, Liam Cunningham as Man at Arms, like such a, a a great kind of dad voice, kind of reassuring, like mm. Man at Arms has got this covered. Um, and as you say, Mark Hamill as Skeletor, like you could kind of hear, oh, I, I could kind of hear a, a, a tone of the Joker in the way that he was talking. Because right. obviously Mark Hamill voices the Joker in several animated um, shows. But uh, this is, you know, for an animated TV show, if you grew up in the in the 80s, you need to watch this. You know, oh, form yeah. your own views. For sure. The, just on the subject of Evil Lynn, I did notice one thing she did. And she said, she said bollocks. And that was kind of weird because it kind of took me out of the moment, out of that universe. That was a very um, out of context comment that just didn't feel within the masses of the universe. It was a minor thing, but it was one thing that just struck me. Um, the other, the other thing. Oh yeah. So on top of these these eighties references and and you know the, the homages to the great look and and sound and in terms of story. 
my favorite thing from this this whole five episode and my enduring memory i guess of what i've just watched is the ending because the ending is is so brilliant it's so unexpected it's so i think it was what it was needed to avoid it being a potential cliche ending and it's just a million miles away from what the 80s cartoon would ever have been about and then of course we've got this you know this extreme visual of that all-powerful skeletal over Grayskull, and that is it's 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 the uh it's the perfect empire strikes back ending it's it's, it's not the thing we expected I'll tell you, Paul, as soon as I finished watching this show, I went straight online to look at the new toys that were coming out about the <laughs> human revelations because I was like, and I literally had to stop myself being like, you don't need these. But I was like, these are cool. Like, you know, you could you could have the set of these He-Man figures. You could finally get Castle Grayskull. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Oh, it really is. I mean, I dare not look at them. I, yeah, I think the fact that they've kept that look so so classic as well is, is for me, just like how I've appreciated the the Transformers War for Cybertron that 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 look to the eighties the G one look they've done the same thing here they've just tidied a few things up the comment you made before um, around you know He Man was never necessarily the the center of the story and it was a fresh take I see your point and I take it the one thing though that I thought was the the counter to that was because the storyline and the big event in the first episode it did mean that we went for a very long time without he-man or skeletor um in the main sort of bulk of those middle episodes and so we went without them for a time and so we really relied on those support characters and i think the fact that they did such a good job with that support characters and such a great cast and good story that it was fine but to, if you'd said to me at the start there's five episodes here but you're only going to get He-Man for episode one and half of episode four, uh, half of the final episode. I'd be like, really? And it was just interesting. Yeah, I, I, I guess so on, on paper that makes sense. I think why it kind of worked in this context is because He-Man's a bit of a, a Superman type person, right? Like mm. he's like he's super strong he's got the the power of Eternia he's he's got it all going on and he's pretty indestructible and so I think what this did because each episode's only 20 minutes you know and even though it's it's kind of a long gap I don't know about you but I kind of watched these all together so Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like too much of a, a gap for me and I was so excited to see some of these side characters who oh my god it's it's Beastman and he's kind of like he's not a douche he's a cool guy and oh that's Triclops and oh we're getting some more Orko and oh Mossman I remember him as a toy and it's all like furry and like I was just nerding out over it the whole time. No, I was too. Actually, Orko, that's a good shape because Orko was a potential for them to get very wrong and really ruin things potentially. But I thought that what they did with Orko was was also really, really good. I um, I did the same as you, actually. I watched it all in one go. Um, actually had my my uh, seven-year-old daughter uh, sit down and watch it, who's also you know the, the big Transformers fan. So I think she would have loved being a child of the 80s, if I'm honest, because she, she was just hooked as well. Um, it's a, it's a really great watch, as you say. If you were a fan of it back in the day, we we better get a second pat down with these ratings. This, I mean, that's already in the bag, right? The ratings aren't going to affect that, are they? You can't bring a part one to me and then not already have part two already in the works. But in saying that, I, I don't think there's actually any information about when that might even drop. Like, is that a is that a this year? Is that a next year? Like, don't mess with me. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with me. 
I think Kevin, like, like Kevin Smith, he knows what's up. And, you know, much like we talk about Dave Filoni and his care and attention to this stuff, I think this is the great thing about having someone like Kevin Smith behind this project is he's got the, the resources and probably the ability to make a lot of this stuff happen. And I don't know how much, how much stock do you put in these reviews? Like, where's the guns akimbo scale? Exactly. That's what they really need. Exactly. But, you know, 13,000 people. I mean, are there like, are there forums and uh, I don't know, what are they called? Like places that people go to where they just all go like, let's, let's all just hate on this, this show and just all just give it a really bad, a bad rating because yeah, from 13,000 people, 4.8, you know, are there blogs where people are paid to, 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 to review with hate? I don't know. Mm, mm, interesting. Not to worry. Interesting looking on INDB because most of the episodes, like episode one, 6.6, and then 5.4, 5.6, 5.9, 5.8, like I'm a smooth brain, like I don't know how math works, but I don't know how you get a, a, a four from from all of that. Also interesting that, you know, there's five episodes, but there's actually two other episodes listed for 2021, one called Cleaved and Twain and the other called Reason and Blood, and then there's actually already a, a placeholder for season two, and it does say 2021. It does so- come with everything you see here. So I, it all tells me, Dan, that we are going to be getting this second part, and those haters, well, they don't have the power. They can go to Snake Mountain. Indeed. Look, another good one from us. So get get yourself around Clarice, get yourself around Master of the Universe. That's hot off the, the Half Measures Press. Indeed. Shall we go across, Dan, to the movie of the week? We shall. So each week, Paul and I take turns choosing a different movie of the week. If you would like to watch along before we um, deep dive into it and ruin anything for you on the pod, then you should come and join us on our Discord channel where we announce the movie every week. This week, Paul, what have we been watching? We went with the 2010 movie, sorry, 2020 movie from Christopher Nolan, Tenet. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this, is, this is an incredible movie. The synopsis, if this means anything, armed with only one word, Tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. I mean... That's an incredible synopsis right there. Yeah, this is um, this is obviously my my second time watching this movie. I reviewed a, uh, several episodes back on the pod, so I'd be keen to hear your your thoughts first, Paul. Yeah, so it's I'm, actually I do remember a couple of things you said now, and I am picking up on that. This is a really well made movie. It is a classic Christopher Nolan uh, complex beautifully shot um movie and yet if i'm honest i probably understood 50 to 60 percent of what of what was going on and, and that's okay it's, it's kind of like if you've seen inception it's like for me it's like inception on steroids and and you know diana and i watched this together and she kind of summed it up when when we were talking afterwards and she said to me i don't even know what questions to ask you to help me understand. And I think that's a really good starting point to not even know the questions to ask because I feel like a rewatch will help, but I'll never fully understand that, which which is okay. But you know, I, I do sort of sit there feeling a, a little bit dumb, but I was fully entertained and I wasn't left disappointed. And I think this would have been great to have seen on the big screen. Yeah, I think 
I'm not sure if you recall me saying on the pod. Um, so this is the a movie which you, you know you you sit down, you're like I had a great time, and then you have to explain it to someone, and you're like I don't know what happened. There was a multiverse of things happening. It all crossed over. All the clues were there from the start, but I couldn't see them. And I actually I watched a, a couple of YouTube kind of deep dive sort of breakdowns of the movie and watching those actually really helped kind of bring it all together and having someone sort of break down all the components and give me the this is then this happened then this happened and it it, it all of a sudden made the movie click into place and then watching it again sort of really sort of helped cement that I think this is a, a fantastic movie it's it's so well done. It's it's a Christopher Nolan masterpiece. It's got a fantastic cast. I love it when I'm, you know, the the main character is just titled as the protagonist. Like that's which is um, John David Washington, and it, it, it's so good. Um, I I couldn't rave about this movie enough. But it is a movie that you can't sit down and you know be flicking through your phone at the same time. You can't sit down and watch it with. Um, somebody who's going to talk through the whole thing like this is a pay attention and focus on every moment because it all matters no you're absolutely right that said i could have been on a phone call for large portions of this movie and still come out with a similar level of lack of understanding i would say i um i yeah john david washington as you say i've only ever seen him in the old man and the gun with with robert redford that's the only other thing i've i've ever seen i thought he was brilliant in this he was just really played this cool calm collected guy with really great delivery of his lines he had that really good um rapport with uh robert pattinson who was also really amazing in this and now now i'm on the hype train of i can't wait to see him as as bruce wayne because i've only ever seen him in uh in twilight and of course that that crazy lighthouse movie that we watched which um which i also enjoyed the uh the other guy i was going to quickly mentioned it was not such a big part for him but michael kane i feel like he has been 70 for like the last 25 years but this is the first time where i actually saw him and i actually thought oh okay so he is actually 88 and now he does look it it's kind of like he's uh it's the first time i've spotted that with michael kane but um just so much so much in this that i loved i um just felt that it was and I did do some research on this one as well, like you, and I, I found a couple of things out which I found interesting because um, if you felt like the, the the 747 crash scene, if you felt that looked real with not too much CGI, but well, that's because it, it was, then they, they went out and purchased an old 747 and crashed it into a hangar. I mean, imagine calling action on that shot. I mean, that was that was really, really sensational. And I just... Oh, Christopher Nolan, they have to give him the keys to a James Bond movie one day, don't they? Well, I think that this is the the Christopher Nolan like special touch, right? Like the the Midas touch, because like, in uh, Interstellar, you know the scene where it's sort of going over all of the um, cornfields. Mm. Like Christopher Nolan actually purchased a big bit of farmland and had all that corn planted because he wanted a a real looking. He he didn't want a CGI. He wanted it to to look authentic, and I think he he brings all of that um, talent and just just everything like that 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 scene at the airport is incredible, isn't it? To actually see them destroy a a plane is is top tier. But there are incredible scenes, and nearly there's no green scenes 
you know, the, the, sorry, the green, the green screens, you know, there's none of that. There's, there's nearly all practical effects. I was also reading the, the highway chase. So the car scenes on the highway with them, you know, with all the cars going backwards. I was like, well, how did they pull that off? Given that there was always one vehicle going forward. And that car chase was over three weeks shooting. They had to close off eight kilometers of a six lane highway um, and then they shot the cars moving both forward and in reverse for three weeks. I mean, just absolutely, absolutely amazing. They mixed in those elements of sci-fi with, you know, I guess, as we were saying, like a bit of Bond, the, the espionage, the, the, also the level of banter in the script kind of gave me a feel of Kingsman um, or even a bit of a Guy Ritchie movie. It was, it was classy. It was styly. It was Christopher Nolan of the highest degree. It was just blimmin' confusing. <laughs> I think too, um, just going back to your, your comment about Batman as well, is that I, I'm, this movie has just got me so hyped for Robert Pattinson as Batman. Like, I think, you know, like, I wasn't kind of, um, I was definitely in the camp of like a little bit nervous. Like, can Robert Pattinson, you know, transition from Twilight to uh, Bruce Wayne and, and be the Batman with him to be? And the, the trailer has proved that 100% again. Mm. Um, but I think in this movie, like, he's, he's a great, uh, action star as well isn't he like his his character as neil was was really good no it really was and um he you know he he sort of sets it up a second movie with his his like his final line where he's basically saying see you in the next one uh when he's talking to john david washington but i won't hold my breath on that only because putting the dark knight trilogy aside christopher nolan from my knowledge, just quickly looking, doesn't seem to be a sequel maker. So I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, the other thing I spotted in the credits was because the, the music was fantastic. It was um, Ludwig Göransson, and he's the guy, who, of course, who gave us the brilliant Mandalorian theme that we've all been humming for the last couple of years. So um, another great soundtrack from him as well. Yeah, this is this is a great movie. This is one of those movies that you you'll definitely want to watch again. The whole Christopher Nolan back catalogue. Is a, is a work of art. This is all the guns for me, uh, especially on a second viewing. Well, if you would like to watch along with us, then next week you can do that by joining our Discord community, seeing what movie we're watching, and then when you listen to this podcast, you'll be able to hear our review and give us your thoughts. Dan, do you have any news for us this week? I have a little bit of news for you this week. So... You are probably all over this, Paul, as a, a super a super Star Wars fan. So did you know that Mark Hamill did secret voice cameos for every Star Wars movie since 2015? So this is might be new news to our listeners, but so he's done, obviously he's been in a couple of the latest Star Wars movies. Um, with, but we've, we've seen, like, obviously, Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, Rogue One, and Solo, and his name in the credits actually appears as William M. Patrick, which I think is just is so cool. Like and he, he sort of put some press out there that he never did this for for the money or the fame. He just he's just a big Star Wars fan. And he like he wanted to sort of create that joy. And so you know now people are obviously going back through the credits looking to see where they can find William M. Patrick um, as one of the supporting cast members. And that is our friend Mark Hamill doing some secret voices. The king of voices, Joker, Skeletor, and all those characters from Rogue One, Solo, and Last Jedi. It's, it's amazing. 
Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, speaking of uh, Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker, so you may remember from the season two of The Mandalorian, we had obviously a, a young Luke Skywalker um, returning in the final episode. And, uh, you know, there was a, there's obviously a little bit of controversy, even even here on the Half Measures podcast, about the the quality of some of the the digital de aging. And there's been a, a a few people on YouTube who have done sort of like deep fakes, which which has sort of produced it to a higher quality that sort of has made it feel quite real. And I think what's quite interesting is Lucasfilm has recently just hired one of the YouTubers who did a deep fake uh, to come and work with them. And I. I think that's awesome, like how good to sort of make something for fun and kind of like, look, here's how you could have done it better and then get swept up by the big dogs at Lucasfilm. What a story. How brilliant is that? And also, you know, we're talking about the, the Lucas effect of going back to movies and redoing them. It would not surprise me to have them go back and, and improve the effects of that CGI uh, Hamill, Luke Skywalker face. You know, it, I think we could we could possibly see that. That's a great story. I would love that. And if he could also work on a few of those other Star Wars movies and then maybe Walking Dead could also take up his services for a while. And look, this guy's never going to be out of work. There's all sorts of opportunities out there. He can he can work on your Terminator 1, um, you know, <laughs> he can do reanimation. All. Can he do a tiger? Because they need that for The Walking Dead, right? Impossible. They've got to be transparency set to 50% to do any animals. <clears throat> uh also, last week we spoke a little bit about how Netflix might be moving into the gaming arena as well. A little bit more new, a little bit more news about that. It looks like the first games that they will potentially be releasing will be mobile um, first games, which makes sense. Um, having a you know a number of games on their on their Netflix platform on your mobile, I would imagine would be relatively simple relatively simple um with then obviously a, a bigger stretch to get into the the home market but you know this reminds me of a you know with like on apple phones for example you can get an apple arcade subscription where you can get a whole bunch of you know ad free games and there's no reason why i guess netflix couldn't offer that that same option so interesting stuff there more and more news keeps coming out about that all the time and one final bit of news for me today. So it looks like Michael B. Jordan, I know you're a big fan, Paul, will produce a potentially limited um, Black Superman series for HBO Max, which I think is uh, pretty exciting. It'll be pretty interesting. And I, I really love the stuff that Michael B. Jordan does, so I definitely will be tuning into that. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I haven't seen him in as much uh, as you have, but the role for me that always, you know, has, has has stuck with me for him was uh, the Tom Clancy Without Remorse movie, and I know he's been in a lot more stuff than that. So he's he's definitely got the the ability to do it. So yeah, look forward to that. And what about you, Paul? Anything on your news desk? Uh, just a couple of things. Just uh, there was some trailers released this week that all got me excited. Ghostbusters Afterlife um, uh, from Jason Reitman. This one looks like it's going to be absolutely. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be great for the kids of today. It's going to be great for fans of the original '80s movies. Um, obviously, they've they've brought back some some key some key characters, and I think the at least from the trailer how they're setting it up, it looks superb. Go check that one out. Talking of trailers as well, we had a double release of uh, Star Trek Lower Deck season two trailer, um, and also Star Trek Prodigy, which is a brand new animated 
Star Trek show um, featuring the voice of Kate Mulgrew returning as, as Captain Catherine Janeway. So Star Trek fans will be all over that. That was that was pretty cool. And then the only other thing I spotted other than I did have the Skywalker stories as well, but the, the, the new Predator movie that they're making will follow the first Predator who came to Earth. So obviously there's been quite a few different sort of um, sequels and spin-offs and, and reboots, whatever, but this one is going to be looking at the, the first Predator and the, the origin story of that Predator's journey to Earth. So um, that could be quite interesting because it's, um, yeah, it's going back to that first one, which I think, I don't know about you, but if I was to look at all the Predator movies, that was, that's the one that I always think of. So um, yeah, that's all I've got. Have you seen, speaking of trailers, there's two other trailers that I actually noticed uh, this week as well. So one of them being they've released the the first trailer for the new Dexter TV show coming out later this year. That looks really interesting. And another trailer that actually just caught my eye is one called The Last Jewel. And so this is a trailer, I haven't really heard a lot, well, I haven't, I don't know a lot about this movie, but I've sort of heard whispers about it. And so this stars Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Ben Affleck couple of uh, classic characters in there and it's basically about um, King Charles VI declares that uh, Knight Jean de Carouge settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. This movie looks bananas and I feel like I can't see a movie with uh, Adam Driver and not see him as an angry Kylo Ren wanting to smash someone and in a medieval sense sign me up I can't wait. It doesn't matter if you give him a goatee He's Kylo Ren, and I, I'm with you on that. I don't know what it is about his face. There's something so, yeah, it's going to be hard. But um, hey, who knows? He's kind of got that look like he's just been slapped, and it's, it's, it's a permanent sort of like I've just been slapped. I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry, and it's still just kind of like still processing. And I think he's always got that look, and it makes it. And he, he's a pretty fantastic actor, so I'm, I'm really intrigued by this, and really interesting to see, obviously someone like like Matt Damon play a a bit of a role like this and it's going to be good so looking forward to this one but yeah that's your your trailer talk reminded me of these ones yeah no 100 percent um i love a trailer i love a trailer um news desk to mailbag dan all right what's up not one not two but three directors are in the mailbag this week dan which is always exciting firstly the director of uh, Black Widow that you reviewed last week, uh, Kate Shortland. She liked our Black Widow review on our Instagram page, which was cool. Secondly, the director of HBO's Starstruck, Karen Main. She shared uh, our review of that uh, of, of Starstruck on Twitter. And then thirdly, the director of Escape from Pretoria, Francis Anand. He, he retweeted our review on Twitter and he also liked it on uh, our Instagram page, um, as too did the film's official Instagram account, who even added us to their their story. So that was all pretty cool. And we even had Mini Driver in Starstruck like our review as well. So that was uh, a cool trilogy of movie and TV directors. And then our peak performance, Dan, um, got a lot of interest for J.K. Simmons, which is fantastic. Uh, Ash from Palmerston North went with uh, his role in the series Counterpart. Sarah from Wellington also went with Counterpart. Geek Girl Review from Australia also went with Counterpart. This is the second time in consecutive podcasts that we've had three people independently 
recommend and message us about uh, the same the same role, which, as you know, triggers half measures podcast clause 47 that stipulates we now have to watch and review it and the problem is of course this time it's a tv show not a not a movie so it could be a big commitment but yeah counterpart getting a lot of love uh what else um nat from wellington went with burn after reading and an honorable mention of whiplash uh norman from mission log podcast he also went with whiplash and then paddy from the emerald isle he says that much like Superman defied Zod and the Fast and the Furious franchise defied physics, he is defying the new Half Measures Peak Performance forecast, uh, sorry, format and he will continue to give us his 3-2-1, which for J.K. Simmons, he's going with uh, Juno, Whiplash and Spider-Man 2. And that is the mailbag. Amazing, amazing. I'm. It's good to hear that somebody's passionate about the old format. Let, let, let's keep trying this for a few more weeks, see whether it, it resonates, and maybe we'll adapt again on the fly. Sounds good. And on that note, Dan, shall we go straight across to the peak performance this week? Indeed we shall. So much like Movie of the Week, Paul and I take tunes choosing different actors, actresses, producers, directors, and we choose what we think is their peak performance. Who are we looking at this week, Paul? This week... I put Russell Crowe into the mix for us. This is a, a great, great choice. Uh, a great actor with a, a lot of range. And so sticking to our our new format of runner-up and then our, our peak performance, this week I'm going to go with my runner-up choice as our recently reviewed movie Unhinged, where uh, Russell Crowe basically plays a crazy... Okay, what's the word I want to use here? Crazy murderer, unhinged. <laughs> un- I, without Angry using the person. word unhinged, it's yeah, a, a manic guy who's just dead set on writing what he considers to be some wrongs. And his performance in this is top tier. I know that we've had a couple of people come and say to us that this movie is intense and it wasn't quite for them, but we've also had a lot of people say how how awesome this movie is. So this is my my runner-up. Um, and for my peak performance, I just can't go past 2000s uh, Gladiator. What you do in this life will echo through eternity. Such a classic tagline. Seeing um, Russell Crowe as a you know, as a gladiator, as Maximus in the arenas. This movie was uh, ahead of its time for me. It was the first movie. Um, I remember buying a maybe a PlayStation 2 and getting this movie with it as well. And I've watched this movie like a lot. And another movie that could probably maybe do with a, a, a Lucasfilm treatment to maybe bring some of the effects up to date. But... You just can't go past a good Ridley Scott film. And I think Russell Crowe's performance here is is one of his best. Oh, look, so, so true. And look, I know I obviously I chose him for peak performance, but I don't think I fully appreciated how good a CV Russell Crowe has until I actually went in and had a look. There are so many in there. And so I'm so pleased that we have different choices because I, I think they're all worthy of being talked about because I've got two different ones to you. My honourable mention then is 2010's The Next Three Days. And this is such such an awesome action thriller. It is not a movie that many people perhaps will think, oh, who was in that? They, they, they won't think of Russell Crowe necessarily. It's, it's a prison break. 
it's got Liam Neeson trying to free um, Elizabeth Banks, you know, for a crime she didn't commit. It's so underrated. Um, this this beat out a you know a whole heap of movies that could easily have got an honourable mention. But I wanted to go with this one because, as I say, I don't think many people have seen it, and I think it just needs some late promotion because Russell Crowe trying to orchestrate a prison breakout, getting advice from Qui Gon Jinn, and having only three days to do it. I promise you, this is a hundred percent popcorn entertainment. You will not be disappointed in this one. I've never seen it, Paul. I, I'm in that. I'm in that camp. That's it. And I feel like there's so many people in that in that camp. And I just, I remember going into it was just like, oh yeah, what's this all about? And just coming out of it, just and I've I've seen it at least twice. Uh, my peak performance though is 2003's Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World, and this. I know that this is a movie that has, you know, divided audiences and, and fans, and I'm definitely a big fan. And I don't know why there hasn't been a sequel or a prequel. I don't know. Russell Crowe as a as this really irritatingly brash British captain chasing this massive advanced French ship across the ocean using some really sort of I, I don't know clever trickery and tactics and just some. It's just it's another action movie, but it's way more than action. It's a it's a great story. It's a great cast. It feels it's a, it feels so real. It doesn't feel like there's any CGI. You know, if you think about some movies out at sea, which maybe are, and this one this one feels real. It's beautifully edited. It's nearly twenty years old, isn't it? But goodness me, it, it, I guarantee you, that if I was to watch this tomorrow, it won't have aged in the slightest. It's it's always been underrated, and that's. That's that's why I think for me I just love this. That's my uh, my peak performance. It's a it's a great choice. It's a movie that's been I've been feeling like I've wanted to rewatch this movie for a little while, and I it's probably time. Yeah, I think it, I think it's time we we bring it in into the mix. But yes, uh, Russell Crowe, born in Wellington, New Zealand, he's uh, he's been in some things, and there's a yeah. It's funny, eh? Because you know, Australia and New Zealand has this interesting thing where, obviously, um, he spends a, Russell Crowe spends a lot of his time now in Australia, and he probably considers himself an Australian. But as soon as anyone is born in New Zealand, we like hold on to that for dear life, don't we? Like, you know, Dwayne uh, the Rock Johnson, he went to school in Auckland for a little while. You're a New Zealander, mate, even though he wasn't born here. But like, you, you you've touched touch foot on uh, here. It's you're one of us. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. Uh, thanks this week to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, for supporting this week's episode. And a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King and Trisha Brady. If you too would like to become a producer of the show, then you can find our Patreon details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.